Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you Thursday, January 28th. The Magic fall last night to the Sacramento Kings at the Amway Center. Back at it Friday night with the Los Angeles Clippers in town. And then a quick sprint over to Tampa. We'll see the Raptors on Sunday night. And then we'll see the Raptors again Tuesday night back here at the Amway Center. My guest for the program this week does a phenomenal job covering the league uh, at large for Sports Illustrated. Co-host of the Open Floor Podcast with Ben Golliver, Michael Pina, my guest this week. He's on Twitter, at Michael V. Pina. Michael, what's up, man? Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Of course, Jake. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, you are prolific. Like, I had to scroll through, scroll through like, 15 tweets and, and articles to find the piece that you wrote 24 hours ago about the magic. You must be a very busy man these days, Michael. Um, I, I try to stay as busy as possible, you know, being in my apartment 24-7, basically, um, as most of us are. Like, there's not much to do but read about basketball and watch basketball and write about basketball. <laughs> so, so You're in Brooklyn, right? I am in Brooklyn, yes. So do you have, I mean, do you have any access to Barclays? Like, can you go to any games? Uh, you know, I, I believe I could if I wanted to. Um, I can actually see it from my apartment window right now as we speak, but uh, there's really no benefit for, I, know. I think the media to go, because usually, you know, when I would go, it would be to hang out in the locker rooms and start up conversations with people and mingle on the court before the game. And you can't do any of that. So I don't really see a purpose in going. I'd rather stay in my living room and just kind of flip around league pass. No, it's funny because we have fans in Orlando. I think there's, what, nine teams now are, are, we're up to um, bringing fans in. And the organization's done a, a great job of making it as safe as possible. But we do have some media. And so I'll be, you know, like I, I host the pre- and post-game show, and we air the Zoom interviews live. And there's people in the building asking questions via Zoom to Steve Clifford, who's down in the bowels of the Amway Center. And it's like – what what really is the point? You could do all of this from the comforts of your own home. And, you know, I, I, I can, I guess I can see the, the value in, in getting the feel and being in the arena, but you're right. Like there's, you're not missing anything if you're doing it all from your living room. Yeah. One, I, I couldn't agree more. It's just, it's very, I would find it very bizarre to be asking a question over zoom when I'm in the same building <laughs> exactly. as another individual. So I try to try to avoid those situations. Continuity is Orlando's best friend and worst enemy. I thought you'd, did a great job with the piece, kind of the dilemma, the magic and, and some other organizations are in right now. I think the magic's is, um, you know, it's a, it, it's a unique situation because of the injuries and we'll get into that, but can you, I guess, without ruining it for the reader and the listener, can you just kind of give me the gist, the premise of the piece? Yeah. So it, it sort of started uh, last year when I wrote this article for SB nation about um team chemistry in the NBA and the impact that continuity has on it and whether or not it matters, because I've just been really fascinated by uh, how much roster turnover there is from year to year and the acceleration of change throughout the NBA and how that impacts, you know, teammates and uh, coaches and playing styles and everything. And so I was just kind of going through uh, the, the, the roster continuity numbers heading into this season and Orlando really stood out to me because they had the second highest continuity over the past three off seasons. Uh, the first being the Denver Nuggets. And you would think, Oh yeah, the Denver Nuggets, that makes a lot of sense because they're very good. They have uh, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and a bunch of really talented young players. And they just made it to the Western conference finals. And um, there there's obvious momentum there. And then the magic, you know uh, you know, they're in the East and, 
they made the playoffs two years in a row, but have won a total of two games, have not won a playoff series since 2011. And so it was just a little curious to me, you know, why are they not making a significant move either backwards or forwards and just trying to keep everything together? And to be, to be honest, like heading into reporting the article, which started before the season began, so it was long before a lot of the injuries happened to this year's team. But, you know, I was pretty critical of their team building strategy and why they weren't, you know, shipping out some of the players. Um, you know, I was surprised that they did not trade Evan Fournier, for example, last season. I figured they could have potentially gotten uh, a pretty good asset for him. You know, Aaron Gordon's name is constantly in trade rumors. And I think Terrence Ross would have a lot of value around the league if he were to be shopped. Um, so for me, it's like when you when you don't necessarily have a clear path to a championship immediately, uh, the thinking is to get as many assets as possible that can help you down the line in two, three, four years, even beyond that. So that was my thinking heading into the reporting of it. And then, you know, you talk to a bunch of players about, okay, well, what is the value here? of being together and uh, having familiarity and developing relationships on and off the floor. And for players, especially for, you know, Fournier, for uh, Vucevic, for uh, Aaron Gordon, guys who have been around Orlando for a very long time, who have experienced some of the, the, the real dark days, you know, six year, the six years preceding Jeff Weltman's hire, no team lost more games than the Orlando Magic. So uh, there is a, 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 a desire to have some consistency in your life and some success and they, making the playoffs, even if you get eliminated in the first round, that is, um, that is progress. So it, it was just really interesting to me to talk to them, talk to, talk to Jeff a little bit um, about just the philosophy and uh, why he... Uh, has had continuity with the roster for longer than I think some other organizations might have uh, found acceptable. Do you have the numbers or have you found um, the trend on, on, on player movement and, and what's happened, I guess, over the last decade, I would guess it's kind of exploded. I, I would guess. Is that, is that the case? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely on an upturn for sure. Um, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, I think, you know, the, the changes to the CBA over the past uh, three, four years, three, four, five years, um, where contracts are a lot shorter, uh, the impact that the uh, new television contract had on the NBA, where the cap spiked and, you know, teams had a lot more money to spend and players were suddenly making astronomical amounts that really hindered teams that, you know, usually, you know, there's built-in uh, advantages that teams have with bird rights to, to keep a player. You know, there's 8% raises over 5% raises annually, and you can tack on another guaranteed year. That used to be a pretty attractive carrot for players. Now you're making so much money that a lot of them don't really care that much, to be honest with you. And so teams want flexibility, um, players want flexibility, and so the contracts are shorter, which really uh, increases the, uh, this is just one factor, increases the, you know, uh, predilection for, for change on both sides. 
the idea, I, I love the phrase you use, middle-class royalty. Um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of the prevailing thought that you have to be coming or going. Um, uh, you don't want to get trapped in purgatory. Do you, I guess, firmly subscribe to the, to the idea that you either need to tear it down and, and, and build with young pieces, or do you think you can kind of build from the middle? Well, I think there's an easy, much easier path, obviously, um, for being bad and having high draft picks. Now, the NBA has changed its rules with the lottery to kind of deter that behavior. They don't want teams intentionally losing. And the likelihood of, you know, being the, if you're the worst team in the NBA by far, you don't have an advantage of getting the number one pick as you would have four, five, six years ago. So, you know, I think that it's, certainly more difficult to be in the middle and then go up a level. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of like this, you know, I was having a conversation with another GM for a different team and we were discussing, Hey, why, why weren't the Orlando magic a little bit more aggressive maybe in the James Harden sweepstakes or will they be aggressive in the Bradley Beal sweepstakes? And for Harden, it's like, you know, you could give up your next three future first for unprotected future first round picks. Um, and pick swaps and all of that. But then obviously if you give up some talented players, like Harden's going to leave in free agency. And the same as this is said for someone like Brad Beal or if a Kyrie Irving becomes available at some point, but on the other end, you know, how are you going to get a player like that in the door if not drafting them? So for the Orlando, you know, what they're banking on is first and foremost, they need Jonathan Isaac to be a perennial all-star and they're very high on him as I'm sure you, you obviously know. Yep. And I personally am high on him as well. And I really hope that he can make a 100% recovery from his torn ACL and become the two-way impact player that he was starting to look like uh, before he got hurt. So they, I mean, they need someone to build around with him. They have uh, Okeke, who uh, you know, hasn't really been a factor so far because of injury. And Cole Anthony is very young and raw. And looking more and more comfortable, I think, uh, you know, his percentages aren't great. He obviously had that buzzer beater against the Minnesota Timberwolves, which was nice to see. Uh, uh, Markel Fultz tears his ACL. You're trying to have a young core that can grow together and uh, uh, hopefully be, uh, you know, ready to compete in the playoffs when, you know, before someone like Nikola uh, Vucevic is on the decline because that guy just keeps getting better every single year. He's so impressive. And I, I think he deserves to be an all-star this season based on how he's played. So you want to complement the, the older veterans with your younger players and have some internal improvement, but it's just, it's really difficult to kind of match up the timelines and then get that top tier talented piece without having, uh, you know, without acquiring them through the draft. Yeah. I think there's a lot of factors at play in, in, that's why I was uh, drawn to your article because I think you, you laid out a lot of them first. Like my background is I was with the team for um, I came in 08, 09, and then I left in 13, 14. So I was there for the end of the Stan Van Gundy era and the beginning of the Jack Vaughn era. So I saw the last of the good stuff uh, mm -hmm. and, and the beginning of the bad stuff. And then I went up to Detroit and I saw a whole bunch of bad stuff. And then I went to Cleveland uh, and I saw some good stuff and then I came back. And so I like skipped the six years um, I skipped a majority of the playoff drought. And I do think that that informs a lot. Like I think when Jeff Weltman and John Hammond got here, you know, primary objective was stability. Like let's figure out a way uh, to make the playoffs. Let's figure out a way to build a roster where we have assets, but we also have um, veterans where, 
where when we're drafting guys, we're not just throwing them all together. You know, you don't want to be um, you don't want to be hinky Sixers, basically. Like you don't want a whole bunch of kids who don't have anybody to look up to uh, or to show them the ropes. And you don't want to just be hopeless um, and just hope that, you know, three or four years from now, this group of young players are going to be able to gel together because I think that's really risky. Um, but I also, you know, I understand exactly what you're saying, where it's like when you're trying to match up timelines, uh, Vooch is a perfect example. You know, will Markel and J.I. and, and sort of the young core um, be ready and, and be at their peak and, and sort of time out um, while you still have Vooch playing, playing it the way he's playing? I guess the – like how do you break down when it's time to, to, to shift philosophies? And it, it, does it make sense that you would start with, with this is our objective, we're going to – we're going to stabilize things. We're going to get to this point, And then we're going to go from there. Or do you think no matter what, you need to have kind of the same, the same philosophy, the same timeline uh, from the get-go? No, I mean, I think like going forward, if you're Orlando, it's, I mean, injuries this year have made it so difficult for the front office to kind of gauge how good everybody can be together. Right. I mean, I forgot before I talked to Jeff that Aaron Gordon didn't play in the playoffs last year, in that playoff series. Now, I'm not saying that Aaron Gordon would have been the difference in, in helping Orlando upset the Milwaukee Bucks, but just not having everybody together coalescing as one. Forget about Isaac, who's, I mean, an absolute – uh, impact player for sure on both ends. Um, so not having some of those guys together and just seeing what you have and getting that baseline to move forward has made it very difficult. So, I mean, I could see the front office, you know, holding fort um, and being patient and just betting on health, betting on that internal improvement, betting on the continuity um, as a positive side effect going forward. And, you know, hoping in 2022, that they, you know, health, uh, health willing, they are uh, more of a threat every night in the Eastern Conference because I think they're extremely well coached. I think they have an identity on the floor that is uh, very effective when you have, I mean, obviously every team wants talent, but when you have better shot making, um, the defense first mentality that, that they have that is very disciplined is a winning formula, I believe. So you can do that and kind of see where it takes you in 2022 and then move on from there when some of the contracts start to come off the books and maybe you're a little bit more aggressive before next year's trade deadline and you're willing to move based on how you look and you're willing to move some future picks or you can go in the opposite direction. And, you know, if the bottom falls out here um, at, at before this year's trade deadline, you know, I write in the piece, like if a month from now or six weeks from now or whatever it is, they are, near the bottom of the Eastern Conference and it doesn't look like they're going to compete for a play-in spot, like, do you then see what the value is of moving on from uh, Aaron Gordon or Terrence Ross or, um, or any of the other key pieces who are veterans right now? Evan Fournier, who is, uh, who is uh, the only guy really in the rotation, key player, the best player in the rotation, who's uh, an unrestricted free agent next season. Um, do you try to get future assets there and then you sort of uh, push your or, or wind back your your timeline a little bit to be more around Isaac and and Cole Anthony and um, and Markel Fultz. So it's really interesting. I mean, you got to see uh, I, 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 you got to see how the next few weeks and, and, and months really unfold for this team. 
and what the appetite is to go and take a big step backwards because that's that's tough and i don't think that like the organization particularly wants to do that no it's uh, it's it's really tricky and that's why I, um i was drawn to your piece because it's you know it's kind of like one step in one step out um and the injuries really do i mean they hamstring you no pun intended like jonathan isaac had two season ending injuries in the same season like i was like how does that happen mm-hmm. um it's just been it's just been really crappy luck and then you know you start out this year knowing it's going to be a year without ji and um, and so you try to do the silver lining thing, like, okay, we're going to be able to build something, uh, and then we're going to throw J.I. on top, and, and it's just going to be icing on the cake. And, you, you know, you start out six and two, and then Markel goes down. Um, so I think it's, you know, I think it sort of compounds all the forces at play, which, which you've mentioned, and, and you end up sort of stuck in the middle here, and that's where you are. Um, the, you mentioned some of the players who might draw some, some value around the league. Um, go through and, and rank them for me if you could. Like who, who do you expect to see, you know, coming up the most in trade talks over the next couple of weeks? I mean, that's a really good question. I think that just because of his contract situation, uh, Evan Fournier is pretty attractive, or at least from the perspective of, from Orlando's perspective, you know, giving up on him as opposed to, hey, are we going to like be in the market to want to resign Evan at the price that he might command at free agency and make a long-term commitment here. Um, so if you can get a, a protected first round pick from someone who believes that they can win the NBA championship or just, you know, wants to fortify their rotation a little bit and, and is really confident in what they are, then I think Fournier is a really good piece because he's a really good player. Um, uh, um, and can really bolster an offense. Um, beyond that, like I, you know, Aaron Gordon's name has has constantly been in trade rumors for quite some time now. Um, he's always been super intriguing to me, uh, and you know, I I think his contract is also very attractive to teams around the league because it um, it declines annually, um, as I mentioned in the article. Um, so I mean, like, but. The thing is, like, what team has a first that they're willing to move for Aaron Gordon? What is Aaron Gordon's trade value right now around the league? I think that the Magic might value him differently or see his value differently than some other teams, which has been a source of the stalemate here and why he hasn't been moved yet. Uh, Or, you know, the Orlando Magic could be still super high on someone who's, I think, 20, what's he, 25 years old? Year seven, he's 25. Yeah, it feels like he's been in the NBA forever, but he's only 25 years old and he has like limitless athleticism and uh, a game that, you know, is super valuable in today's league, particularly on the defensive end where his versatility just really pops when you watch him play. So, you know, if they think that they can be good next season, then you would want to hold on to Aaron Gordon. That would make a lot of sense. So, you know, if I had to pick one guy on the roster who gets moved, it would probably be Fournier because of his contract. But there's a couple others who I could see also um, uh, being uh, attractive to other teams around the league. It's interesting, too. There's kind of this, like, like dichotomy, the stability that you talked about. And having Steve Clifford, who is um, conservative, but just so solid, so steady. Um, and, ha- and, and, you know, you've got quotes from just about everybody, uh, or at least the guys who have been here for a while, Evan and Vooch and Aaron um, and, and MCW, about how that stability is good. I mean, that's kind of the premise of the whole article. Um, the continuity helps guys like that, and it was something that was needed uh, here within the organization. 
But then when I think, you know, when you talk about value around the league, I think because of that stability and that comfort level um, and because sort of, you know, Cliff's come in and, and, and sort of calm things down, I bet sometimes you end up with players being overvalued, you know, by the team that they're on um, because, because they play such a specified role, right? Like take Evan, for instance, you know, he misses nine games with back spasms. The offense can't do anything. And then he comes back and he's like a magic elixir. Like immediately the offense clicked and it's largely because Evan came back. He took the burden off Cole Anthony. Um, he's been, you know, he's been playmaking, creating for his teammates. He's been knocking down perimeter shots, which the team couldn't do for the nine games he was out. You know, Aaron is Steve Clifford's defensive ace. Like, like he is the fire extinguisher. Um, is it Harden? Is it, uh, is it De'Aaron Fox? You know, he's going to throw him against, uh, on anybody um, who's getting off against the team. So, uh, you know, that value that you have because you have a Steve Clifford, um, I think it does sort of create a stalemate because you're going, well, he's really, really valuable to us. And if you don't give us a fair offer, um, then we're better off just keeping him. Like I can see how that would sort of uh, create this situation. And, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think, you know, you want to value the guys that you have. Um, but when you're in a situation like this and you're trying to make deals, I, I can imagine that would be really difficult. No, I mean, that's a really good point. And, you know, if you, if you have that appetite again to kind of go into the wilderness as you know, and, and be where, you know, the Detroit Pistons decided to go, for example. Um, And who knows when the Detroit Pistons are going to come out of that. (laughs) Like it could be forever. Like who knows? Wilderness in Michigan. I I can tell you. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So um, no one wants to be Sacramento. No one wants to be Minnesota. Also another team that is just, in a really tough position right now and has been in a really tough position for generations. Um, it's like, you know, if you, if you're okay with that, if you're okay with losing Aaron Gordon for a future first and a young player who might not pan out or whatever, like then great. And I think a lot of teams around the league would be, would be satisfied with, Uh, that type of transaction and, and, you know, boosting their own first round picks value and uh, looking forward to the lottery. Uh, I I just think that Orlando, you know, you don't get the sense that that is something that they want to do. I could be totally wrong. And, you know, they, they read the writing on the wall and see that, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. And um, if that were to happen, what that, how that changes their calculus, but right now, yeah, I think they, they like being, competitive on a nightly basis and they have a really good coach for that type of mentality. How much do you think it's compounded? You know, you mentioned Detroit, Minnesota, uh, Milwaukee forever until they got Giannis. How much is it compounded by being a small market and not necessarily a free agent destination? Oh, it's, it's like everything. Yeah. Um, You know, that's just what the NBA is and we'll, like forever be i mean all you can do is a front office for a small market team like you got to control what you can control you got to build the best culture you have to make your your home a place where when you draft a guy he never wants to leave that's got to be like you have to have a top-notch practice facility you have to like it's just the works you have to create this environment that is in full embrace of players and players families and like that's what you have to do if you're a small market franchise you have to it's like it's really it's tough because you can do everything and it might not matter your guy might still walk like the indiana pacers 
did everything for Victor Oladipo. They didn't draft Victor Oladipo, but they helped turn him into this all NBA force. And then he suffers this injury and he's working his way back. And then the organization is suddenly like, we're not confident that we can re-sign Vic. So we have to move him. And um, it's just, it's, it's really, really difficult to say nothing of a team like the Oklahoma city thunder with Kevin Durant or the Cavs with LeBron. Those are obviously the most notable examples. Um, but it like every team is going through it. Every team is on the clock. Like the Minnesota Timberwolves traded for, D'Angelo Russell, um, in part because their franchise player, Carl Anthony Towns, is close friends with them and they want to keep Carl Anthony Towns happy. That's yeah. just that's what it is. So it's really difficult if you're a small market franchise. Um, like you don't have free agency as an as like a team building option. And if you're Brooklyn, if you're the Lakers, the Clippers, the Miami Heat, um, you know, the, the Boston Celtics, like you you can use cap space to lure top-notch talent. Um, like I, I, there's a lot of organizations out there that don't have that option. Indiana's a great example, aren't they? I mean, Pritch, it feels like Pritchard's always been two steps ahead, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to football uh, for Sabonis and Oladipo. I'm going to football Oladipo for Levert. I'm going to make, you know, the one free agent move I'm going to make is, um, is going out and grabbing Brogdon. And, you know, I'm going to get TJ Warren, of uh, you know at a, at a total discount that's kind of the way you sort of have to use all your resources but you have to be you have to have that forward thinking that you're probably not going to be able to lock up your franchise player and that sucks obviously but um you know somehow you have to be able to to have that foresight and you have to pull the trigger yeah i mean right now you see it with the new orleans pelicans i mean yeah. they just drafted zion <laughs> it's already like what are they going to do with Zion? How are they going to keep Zion happy? How are they going to, it it is, uh, it's truly like the clock is on almost right away. And you see them trying to wrestle with, okay, do we win? Should we be trying to win right now? Should we, you know, use our draft picks to get someone like Brad Beal and all these draft picks that we got from the Anthony Davis trade, or should we be more patient? And, um, you know, they bring in Steven Adams, this veteran presence who, in my opinion, is not the greatest fit with Zion, but they see him as a stabilizing force down low. And I understand that. But it's just it's really um, it's really complicated if you're a small market franchise. I don't envy the guys and the women who are in charge and who are making the decisions in the front office and trying to keep everybody happy. It's just it's it's like it's not that they don't have a chance because certainly they do, but they're just behind the eight ball, like, and just at a significant disadvantage from some of the bigger market teams. And New Orleans is interesting too, because now then you start running into, you know, who, who has more patience and who's more able to exercise it, right? Like David Griffin, I'm sure is pretty patient. Yeah. You know, let's hold on to the picks and, and we're going to do this. And it's, I've got a five-year plan and Stan Van Gundy's like, I need to win tonight. <laughs> like, yes. Stan Van Gundy does not care about a five-year plan. He cares about, you know, the Clippers tomorrow night or whatever. Yeah. I mean, another example real quick is the Atlanta Hawks, which uh, yep. have not been, I mean, they, they made some free agent signings um, this summer or this off season. And, you know, I don't think that those were bad uh, additions by any stretch, but they were expensive and they definitely accelerate your timeline when you're, I mean, Trey Young is like, what, in his third season or something? So it's like, you know, uh, why aren't you being a little bit more patient and letting someone like DeAndre Hunter develop? And now you see 
with the injuries that they have had from their free agents, like DeAndre Hunter is evolving and he's getting better. It's like, he's why would great. he's been really, really good. Yeah. He's been terrific. So why wouldn't you be a little bit more patient with him? Give him more opportunities to, to kind of um, evolve on his own timeline, as opposed to being this more, uh, uh, have a more uh, strict role besides some of the guys that you brought in. So I, I just think it's, it's always really, really difficult for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, you are up against injuries and timelines and chemistry and uh, one player developing faster than another. And it's just, it's really, really, really difficult. Yeah. And it's, um, no, it's a great question. It's an age old question, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I was glad you focused it on the magic because it is, it's a a lot of what the conversation is um, around town. And, you know, when you have the injuries, there's, I guess there's like a, a built-in sort of not excuse, but a reason not to um, not to overreact because you're going, well, we, we don't have a sense of what exactly this is and what this is going to look like. But with that said, um, you know, I, I love what Evan said. Like you have to show progress. We've now made the playoffs the last two years. We've won one game. And so if this year we don't win more than one game or if we don't get out of the first round, uh, then you're working backwards. And then you don't, then all of a sudden that stability and that continuity um, goes up in the air. So um, it's tricky. It's, it's, uh, you did a great job laying out the case, um, on both sides and, and you had really good access to who did you enjoy talking to most who gave you the most uh, enlightening quotes? Cause I, I did enjoy almost all of them. Um, I, yeah, I like talking to all the guys, to be honest with you. I mean, um, I think if, if I had to pick like one player, um, Michael Carter Williams is a really enjoyable. He's the best, isn't he? I just I asked you that question because I wanted you to say that. <laughs> that was a yeah. He, he's I uh, love MCW. He's he was terrific um, and very candid about the impact of. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk to him because he's been all over the place, right. and so he has a lot of he has a really interesting alternate perspective as opposed to Vucevic has been around since you know 2013 like forever ago <laughs> um like Aaron Gordon ha- doesn't have an experience with any other franchise Evan Fournier has been around forever um Michael Carter Williams has been I think he's played for like four or five teams in his career you know and so uh he knows what it's like to just pop in and try to fit in um but you know that is very very difficult so now he's on a team that, you know, brings him in on a 10-day when they initially assign him, and he's kind of carved out a little bit of a role for himself. Um, right now he's hurt, but hopefully he can get healthy soon. And uh, he's in really, really enjoying having that continuity and developing relationship with people, and it's, it's cool to see. His perspective's so good, too. Like, a two-year deal for him represented stability. It was like, okay, finally, I can, you know, move out of the condo or whatever uh, that I'm living in. And he's been – but he's been great. And you're right. Like, and his perspective's so unique. Like, I I always think about Markel and MCW and how you've got two guys who have these, you know, obviously the Philadelphia experience. But, you know, one's the rookie of the year. And then within two years, he's fighting to stay in the league. And then one's the top pick. And within two years, he's fighting – to stay in the league basically and obviously for different reasons but um mcw brings such unique perspective and, and he is a great soundbite uh and a great interview um this has been great i really appreciate the time michael he's michael pina uh, on twitter at michael v pina make sure you check out all of his stuff in sports illustrated make sure you check out the open floor podcast with ben goliver and make sure you check out the piece he wrote uh, on the magic continuity is orlando's best friend and worst enemy michael thanks so much for the time man i really appreciate it we'll catch up soon okay thank you jake
All right, there he is, Michael Pina. Jake Chapman here with you. Give me a follow on Twitter as well. It's at Jake Chapman OM. I'm back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Be safe, everybody.